When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Look, Bumble knows you're exhausted by dating. All the, must not take yourself too seriously, and 6-1 since that matters, and what do I even say other than, hey? <sighs> well, that's why they're introducing an all-new Bumble, with exciting features to make compatibility easier, starting the chat better, and dating safer. They've changed, so you don't have to. Download the new Bumble now. I am Sarah Jane Case, and this is Enneagram and Coffee. Hello, friends. Welcome back to the podcast. Happy Friday. I hope the week has treated you well. Today, we are talking with Krista Hardin. Krista is a relationship expert, author, and the host of the popular Enneagram and Marriage podcast. Krista has been working with and researching marriage for two decades, providing hope for couples who are struggling to find their light, love, and mission together in any season of relationship. Her most recent title, The Enneagram in Marriage, Your Guide to Thriving Together in Your Unique Pairing, is due out with Baker Books October 3rd. Krista, welcome to the show. Thank you so much, Sarah Jane. I'm so excited to be here and thankful. I'm so excited to have you. I've had conversations with you in the past, and I love talking with you, so I know the audience is in for a treat. Um what? Well, tell me your story. Where where have you come from? How did you find the Enneagram? Why marriage? Oh, you are so fun. And I love your calming voice. I know your podcast audience must adore it too. We all are so blessed by it. Um, I started talking about marriage when I was a little girl. I started to counsel my parents' marriage. And that was really <laughs> unorthodox, obviously. And I have had therapy from that, obviously. <laughs> but it worked, actually. <laughs> and they would pass notes from each other's door. And they'd be like, uh, why does this work? You're seven years old. And I'm like, because you guys are a hot mess and I need peace. And so <laughs> I need joy. What else can I say? Mm -hmm. So um, I think our personalities sort of start early. And I was like problem solving, hacking through with them, Gen mm -hmm. X. And it kind of just worked and flew through my uh, adolescent years. I would lay friends on the bed and type in progress notes. Wow. I didn't know what they were, but I would be like that. And like my first research project in high school was on the interpretation of dreams. And so I have just always had an interest in psychology and Freud, and it kind of became more relationally wired uh, just when I started, like I said, in these young years to be like, I'm I'm decent at this. And you don't have to be perfect mm -hmm. at things that we do. We just have to be good at it. So mm -hmm. I found that pretty young, and then mm -hmm. I went on to get my communication and psychology degrees and then a master's in clinical psychology with an emphasis in uh, family and marriage. Yeah. And then the Enneagram came along and got bigger and it was very helpful more so than all of the psychological assessments I was doing as a master's level psychologist. And so I really was able to replace a lot of heavy forms with mm -hmm. the Enneagram, which as we all know here is so robust. So it's fun to start there. Yeah. And so you, your lead, you live with type seven, right? 
Mm-hmm. And you've been doing this for, I mean, 20 years. Yeah. Like what, what keeps you interested? What keeps you excited? You know, it's a great question. It's story. It's the fact that humans are never an exact science and Mm -hmm. I never get bored in that way. And I will tell you that for those who come to me with premarital easy, I send them right off to my coaches. I send them to other people. But when it comes to like, I have premarital couples right now, even where they're in the thick of things and they're not in that glow, that early honeymoon stage. They're just like, we're in the messes of life already. Or we've been living together, partnered, and we're not married, and we don't know if we're going to get married. This is rich territory for me because I like to help you wherever you're at in your marriage to find the ways that you can thrive together. So it really inspires me, or relationship, to meet with people who are stuck and willing to do the work. For me, that's the most humbling, beautiful position. Somebody who's willing to say, I'm willing to grow, and I'm willing to learn, and we're really stuck. Like, Thank you for being so vulnerable. I'm ready to help you. Yeah, I love that. I love the way you phrase it like in any season of relationship. Mm -hmm. I love that language because I feel like it's kind of saying every season's different. Like some seasons are really lovely and some seasons are really hard. And how do we carry that awareness of each other throughout? Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah, exactly. There's a lot of sense of when we're in that honeymoon phase, you don't really need somebody to give you that lift off. But when you're not, or when the honeymoon goes totally awry, uh, it's, it's really helpful to have somebody say, this is normal. You're not alone. Mm -hmm. And everyone is broken and beloved and beautiful and has strengths and everybody has shadows. And I feel like that's for some reason, uh, even there's still like 30% of people with a stigma around counseling. I just feel like we still have to spread that message of, you're okay. And it's okay that you don't feel good on some days. And some days you're just regulated and your window of tolerance is lower. Like all that's normal in marriage and you don't have to necessarily leave in order to find your regulation, but regulation, but you do need boundaries and some of these other tools we share. Mm-hmm. You mentioned the window of tolerance. Can you tell us what that is? Cause I learned about that in therapy and was like, mind blown. So our nervous systems are regulated each and every day. We're all nuanced in the way our systems are regulated, which is what makes marriage so interesting and fascinating is you and your spouse probably have different uh, styles of even being regulated. And this goes back to your attachment. And of course, couples who have this easy, secure attachment are going to be among those who can more easily pick up and thrive and have healthier, more open windows of tolerance for distress. When distressing things happen, you can say, no problem. I've got a refreshed attitude. I'm overflowing and I have enough. But when you feel like I've had trauma, I'm easily triggered. And especially with the window of tolerance, these big three areas are so important. Nutrition and also fitness and sleep. Those are sort of our baseline, even if we have or haven't had trauma. So mm-hmm. it's like this basic starting framework of being able to even do our couples work. So that's usually where mm-hmm. I start with couples is finding out like, can you bring that back in? And if you can't, why not? Mm-hmm. And as you guys can imagine, that's sort of an unorthodox way of starting couples work, but it's very important. I think if we don't have that self-preserving instinct taking place, then we just don't have the ability to have conflict with our spouses. So yeah, I love that you learned that in yeah. therapy. Yeah. And it's interesting because it is like 
it's cool to hear you talk about it in terms of, cause I learned it just for me, right? Yeah. Like, and how it impacts me. But I think it's so interesting to think about our two windows of tolerance are, are they're engaging every day. So I've never really thought about it like that. Like, how would I, how could we bring that into our life? What I've been discovering, and this has only been the past few years, really nailing it in with, even though I read like, say, Boundaries by Cloud and Townsend 20 years back, like, yes, so helpful. But like you said, like, how do we do this in marriage? And I think what we do is we're strong but kind. And when I say strong, I mean, we're honest. You have to be honest. There's a lot of research that tells us in marriage, if we're not honest, then our marriage isn't going to be as healthy. So we want to be honest and we want to be kind. And we also do better in marriage if we have some healthy ideals that we allow, some healthy inner scripts to be able to say, I know my spouse's flaws. I know my flaws, but I can also appreciate even more of their strengths. So those are some good places to start. But I think that on the day-to-day tackling, what we need to do... is we need to set boundaries with our spouse so that our window of tolerance can remain as open as possible mm-hmm. and also love. And it's usually people feel like I can't be with you or we're going to have to have this huge blowout instead of that, instead of just the boundary setting. And I feel like mm-hmm. that might've come from some of the language we're hard on each other with, like we're one flesh or, you know, we're mm-hmm. one and we agree on everything and the things that we might tell ourselves in our youngest years or more naive moments, um, mm-hmm. instead of like, Hey, we each have our own ways of regulating. And so I'm just learning this over the last few years, especially as I incorporate Enneagram instincts, another great tool for those who enjoy instincts, uh, mm-hmm. to be able to say, okay, I need more of my one-to-one. I need more self-pres and it's not selfish. It's healthy. And it's staying power is very good. So even if you're worried, like, is this actually okay for me to get my self-care? For those who struggle with that, remember, this will help you to stay engaged longer and to be more faithful, to be less likely to trip up. So all of that is also true. I hear you referencing kind of balancing out subtype. And I don't think we've talked about that on the podcast before in in that way, but it's one of my favorite areas of growth. So um, do you mind sharing with us, like when you think about subtype work, what does that look like? What are you referencing? You know, I'm so glad you love it too, because I think that that's the richest area I think that's the richest area of marriage growth um, for couples, even maybe beyond Enneagram type, because I think that with our subtypes, and I do talk about this in my writings in my book. um, Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Families have a lot going on. Let Ollie help manage the mental load with new cognitive health supplements for everyone four and up, like delicious Lolly Focus Pops or Lolly Mellow Pops for kids. And for parents, try three new Brainy Chews to help you focus, chill out, or get energized. Find these cognitive health buddies for the whole fam at ollie.com. That's O-L-L-Y.com. These statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. This product is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. 
Yes, instincts and subtypes, some people might know, are are terms that are very similar. And I'm going to switch over to instinct language, but do understand that if you're a one, your instinct may look different if you're self-preserving than, say, a self-preserving four. So you can dig deeper with me, with Sarah Jane, with many people on the subtypes. But the three basic instincts are self-preserving, sexual, and social. And so those three instincts really are deeply embedded in our epigenetics, in our families. And so it's so important that we know it didn't just start with our parents. Usually we go one generation back. It's all their fault. This is threads and, you know, millennia of people who have found these ways of surviving. And there's something to honor about that. Like I'm self-preserving because my family taught me that I had to take care of me or I'm social because we learned in our community that if we didn't take care of each other, nobody would. So there's a sense of like, wow, yes, they're all three important. You need the one-to-one for creating. Um, But what happens is we usually feel so strongly about one of those mechanisms in marriage and in life that we baby it, that we coddle it, that we give it most of our attention and at least one or two But usually there's a third instinct that doesn't get much attention. Now, I will tell you, often in marriage, we marry somebody who can sort of support that instinct. It's almost like your genes are probably crying out for a bit of difference. And we have some genetic studies, not, of course, as deep and detailed as we would like, but it's a newer, younger science epigenetics. And so what we can hypothesize and see on basic study levels is, yeah, couples are different. They have different ways of surviving that are very deeply embedded, and this can make for complete like horror and conflict to the scariest levels in marriage, which I know I've experienced. And Mm -hmm. I don't know about the listeners, but like, I'm not talking about like, um, like we're almost like in October, like I'm not saying a scary movie, (laughs) scary, (laughs) scary to our systems. Right. Yeah. Threatening. Yeah. Like emotionally. Yeah. I do. I feel that so much because it is like, I married a sexual subtype. Sexual is my repressed. Mm-hmm. So it wow. is like, wow, yeah, we have to like, he balances me so much in, um, wow. in a lot of ways, right? He's a four as well. So there's a lot there, but yeah, it does. It feels like he kind of like came in and, and as a team, it helps me to strengthen. But if mm-hmm. I weren't trying to be impacted by him, yeah. I would, it could be much harder Oh yeah, and vice versa. Yeah. Yeah. And when you're scared and when your window of tolerance is closed, you don't want mm-hmm. to accept that influence. Like I get that with my husband where when mm-hmm. he's a social and I'm like, I don't want any part of that. I already lived that hell when it was <laughs> way too much. And so it's really a brave journey to be married because it keeps your, if, if there's some health obviously between you, but mm-hmm. there has to be some awareness that your spouse makes you more expansive because they're right there to say, like for your husband, for him to say, like, this is a safe place. Like maybe it wasn't for you, but it is Mm -hmm. now. And also he can help to grow in that too. Because like we said, sometimes when one of them's dominant for us, it's so Mm -hmm. dominant that it can be a bit terrifying for the person on the other side or a bit overly enveloping. And we're now not co-regulating, but we're codependent. And so that's important for everybody to be looking at too when you're like, how do I share my instinct with my spouse? You don't force it on them. Yeah. Um, Well, what's the difference between co-regulation and codependence? Co-regulating is more like, you know, when I first came on and you guys heard me say, Sarah Jane's voice is so calming. 
That I love that. And I often try to project that to my clients. I feel like I learned that from a lot of heart types in grad school and a lot of Sue Johnson's couples work, which I've always enjoyed. She's all about attachment and emotionally focused therapy, as you probably know. And so just being able to learn and glean from each other. We do this as spouses where, you know, we invite one another into our best gifts each day and each moment of each day. If we can, whenever we engage, we want to be sharing. I, I'm a seven. And I want to share my joy with Wes. And uh, when I don't have it, I'm hoping that he can give me his gifts and then I'll be able to have that joy again. It's like we refresh each other continually. Um, mm -hmm. But I think that uh, when we're in marriage and we're sort of locked in uh, to these senses or um, the codependency, there's a sense of demand that comes mm -hmm. along with that. Like you're my spouse. You're supposed to do everything to make me feel regulated. And there's none of that self-care that we talked about at the beginning of this episode or ownership over my own regulation. Mm -hmm. And so sometimes we might have to talk to each other about that. And the, a good example of that, that Wes thankfully lets me use our crazy examples on either end. My mm -hmm. book talks more about my crazy examples, but here's one of Wes's is he's struggling with sleep right now and he's a type mm -hmm. one. So sometimes he wakes up extra grouchy because he's mm -hmm. really tired and his window of tolerance right from the get-go is I've got to go see 20 patients today. Day. Um, as a medical provider, I'm exhausted. I'm going to put on a happy face for them, but I'm not really happy. And so I'm getting this kind of grouch right first thing. So some days I can regulate him, but some days I have to say, and he's thankfully a one, so he wants to improve, but I'm like, mm -hmm. you need to own this. Like I can't co-regulate ever. Like you can't be codependent on me for your mood because I don't like waking up to you being literally mean. Mm -hmm. I can't apologize upon first waking because mm -hmm. I didn't do anything wrong. You know, he'll be like, mm -hmm. you and the teens were up too late. And that's a seven thing. I'm like, yes, we probably were watching Gilmore <laughs> Girls too late. But like, quite honestly, like go to bed. <laughs> Like, yeah, yeah. And my teens are like, you know, noticing that too. Like, why can't dad just go to bed? And I'm like, well, there's this whole thing about like some people need, uh, you know, more dad had a lot of trauma. So we're mm -hmm. very open as a family, as you can hear. We'll probably have a family yeah. meeting about it all tonight. <laughs> now we're it. having a larger family meeting with your audience. Support for today's podcast episode comes from Jenny Kane. It couldn't have come at a better time because fall has hit North Carolina and we are officially in sweater weather. Jenny Kane is a California-based brand that has nailed the I'm not trying too hard, but I look very fancy aesthetic. They have everything from luxurious cashmere sweaters to elevated basics, stunning accessories, and even home essentials too. For a limited time, our listeners get 15% off their first order by going to JennyKane.com and using code EGRAM. Now, I have been chasing after the perfect Diane Keaton elevated but classic aesthetic for years, and Jenny Kane is becoming my gateway. I am personally in love with their sweater line. They're simple but clearly well-made, and my first step to looking like I stepped out of Annie Hall. Their pieces are also so classic. They're easy to fit into a capsule wardrobe if that's your vibe. Now, my current favorite is their cropped cashmere cocoon cardigan. I'm actually wearing it as we record. It's so soft and cozy and fits perfectly. They go up to size 3X. I personally opted for the oatmeal color, which I love. And I think this will be my go-to sweater for the season and my go-to place to buy sweaters moving forward. 
Plus, they have an incredible program where you earn 10% back with every purchase, and joining is completely free. So find your forever pieces at JennyKane.com. Our listeners get 15% off your first order when you use code EGRAM at checkout. That's 15% off your first order at J-E-N-N-I-K-A-Y-N-E.com with promo code EGRAM. Let getting dressed be one less thing to worry about. (laughs) No, I love that because it's, I think for so long, I was under this impression and this illusion. And I think very much from a seven place that marriage when it's right is easy. It's just, everything comes naturally. You always feel good. They make you happy all the time. And like the whole concept of like, if someone's in your life, they should make you feel good. And I took that to such an extreme, right? Where it's like, they should never make me feel bad. Yeah. (laughs) Which like, (laughs) it's like, well, that's not how relationships work, but I really believed it could be, it was possible, right? The idealism of like, it's totally possible to have a perfect, (laughs) seamless, easy marriage. And so hearing examples of healthy marriage that, that contains conflict is so, uh, it's so exciting (laughs) to me. So freeing. Yeah. You're like, we can do that. We're allowed, because as you said, if you're a one, four or seven, you're an idealist and you and me are both in idealist marriages and you're Mm -hmm. right. Like, wait, aren't we going to have it perfect all the time? Can't we rise up? And if we look at the Abraham Maslow chart, we would say in marriage, that would look like we would be at that pinnacle all the time of perfect self-actualization in marriage. Mm -hmm. And we've been able to achieve it more over the last 7,500 years with the industrial revolution and onward. So there is a sense of like, why can't we be there all the time? But there's not Mm -hmm. much oxygen at the top. It takes a lot to get there. And when you have kids, families, lack of sleep, lack of nutrition, Mm -hmm. lack of health, any of this can just take you right down to the bottom rung. And you need to go back to that, what we're seeing at the bottom of the Maslowian chart as well, the basic self-care. So it's very connected to marriage, this window of tolerance. And I'm glad um, we can talk about it together, like you said, versus just these marriages that seem perfect. Yeah. Do you ever find people using the Enneagram as as a tool to try to like fix their partner or like make their (laughs) partner? Yes. And we did that at the beginning too. And so I still do it a little bit, to be honest. Um, But it's like, now I think I have gotten to the place where I'm starting to be able to have a healthy inner script with it. Like, this is not Wes's fault. This is part of his lineage, his epigenetics. This is part of his, you know, trying his best and still feeling in this moment, the example I gave, obviously, tired, exhausted, still caring for others. Like what kind of grace can we offer to our spouses when we look Mm. at them that way versus how can I fix? Um, Mm. And I hope we can start coming into the conversations with the attitude of what can I do to be better versus how can I fix my spouse? Mm -hmm. Yeah. This is the first time I've really like thought of it like this, but it's almost like, and tell me if you are, you know, there's nuance to it that I'm missing, but it almost feels like when using the Enneagram, it would be supportive to work on like my growth, focus on like my responsibility of how I'm growing and then use it to understand him, but not try to like push his growth journey for him. Yes. Okay. Huge. Absolutely huge. And that is one of the reasons I almost didn't include the negatives about each type to the level that I did in marriage in my book. 
But I really was like, no, marriages need help and they need to be mm-hmm. real and practical. And we can't just be that seven who sings the praises of each type. We mm-hmm. have to go down to the dregs of like realities of us at our worst. But mm-hmm. if you, whatever product of Sarah Jane's mind, anybody's that you look at in the Enneagram world, hopefully everyone can do their own work and see, here's what I look like on the lowest mm-hmm. rungs versus like, I'm picking at you. I can't believe this or worse yet would be projecting. Oh no, this is who you are. This is what you're capable of. Mm -hmm. I married a nightmare. Like no one is perfect. Everyone has capacities for doing evil. Like just understanding that and trying to bring out the best of one another Mm -hmm. is really the strategy, whether you use Enneagram or not for any healthy marriage. It's seeing the light. It's trying to evoke that in ourselves and them. And when we have to talk about conflict, coming at it from a lens of complaint, not criticism, meaning Mm -hmm. I'm allowed to tell you what's hard for me, but it's not about who you are as a one, a two, a three. It's just in this moment, this is a difficult experience for me. How can we curiously make this better that it also Mm -hmm. won't dysregulate you? Yeah. Oh, that's so good. If I'm starting out and my husband and I are, or my partner and I are looking into using the Enneagram in our relationship, what, where do we start? Like what's our, what's our baseline starting point? I love that question. I think that it's a good thing to start with a basic test, even though we know tests are sometimes wrong. Truity.com has a nice basic test. I think that there are spaces you'll find your favorites online. Obviously, everyone will be nuanced there. Once you do that, I think that checking in with a coach or counselor, if you can afford it to just do even one session for typing, mm-hmm. it's very helpful because the Enneagram is a complex test. I don't know if you ever mistyped at the beginning. Did you? I typed as a two. Yeah. Okay. And loved it. I was like, oh, I'm such, I'm so helpful. <laughs> My husband was like, keep going. (laughs) That's hilarious. Oh my gosh. Yes. And I had that with um, the IEQ nine, I believe it was typed me as a self-pressed four. And Wes, the other day I was reminding him of that and he goes, no. And I was like, I know. I was like, I I think it just, you know, we have our, some of us enjoy tri-type theory or we have our Mm -hmm. spaces that we spend some time in because we're not just the one type we want to be more expansive, but uh, he knows me. He's like, no, Mm -hmm. (laughs) seven. And some people like we know want to be sevens, but they're not. And it's just, you have to sort of own your type of the good, the bad, the ugly. Um, Mm -hmm. So that helps to meet with somebody to talk about it and also to read good books about it that go a little bit deeper. I would say just don't run. Once you find your first type, don't just run, start walking, taking some deep breaths with it and looking at those core fears to see, do these resonate? Do the core gifts resonate? Once you know your type, I think bringing it to your spouse and allowing them to hear you talk it through so that they know you're not uh, up to just change them and, and cajole them and get them to do one more of your, you know, tests that maybe you've done on them before, um, but that you're actually learning and growing yourself. As you said, Sarah Jane, like mm-hmm. that's what kind of made Wes pique his interest, even as a very busy one. He was like, okay, you've done how many tests? Like we've done so many on me as your human guinea pig throughout grad school. Like 
are you sure you need another one? And then when I was like, yeah, but these are my issues that you've been sort of telling me about over the years, he's like, I'm taking the test. <laughs> and so it was, yeah. it was an invitation once he saw I was actually changing and doing my growth work. So that's a great mm-hmm. place for couples to start is doing your own growth work and making sure you have your type right. Oh, I love that. Do you have any like words of wisdom before we kind of start to wrap up anything that's lingering? You're like, I hope I get to say this. I think that I would let couples know the good news is we've talked a lot about your early shine and your honeymoon and how glowy you are. And then how you're at that stage in the middle seasons of marriage, sometimes that have lost their glimmer and shine and you find yourself Mm -hmm. in shadows or darkness. I do want you to know when you immerse in this work of learning who you are and what regulates you and learning your fears and then being honest about them in kind ways together. Mm -hmm. Even if you have to take rest in between, I think the very best thing you can do is truly immerse in that work and you will rise up in that 2.0 and you will become more expansive together and find out how you flow Mm -hmm. the best together. And it is a beautiful thing. I know Wes and I have Mm -hmm. had the opportunity to just really serve our community well within that. And like I said, we don't always stay there. We're not always at the top of that mountain, but we have a lot of those moments together and it's a rich experience to be able to do that with respect and with love. So that's what I would encourage you guys on. I love that. And I will say, you know, your book comes out October 3rd, right? Yes. Yes. Um, and I got a description from you about my pairing with my husband and it was so in-depth, so intricate, so eye-opening. I mean, I've been studying the Enneagram for years and it, so I know this book is going to be so good. I can't wait for everybody to read it. Yeah. It's going to be marriage changing. Oh, thank you. And I have every pairing and there are mini treatment plan for each one. Oh, amazing. Thank you so much for joining us, Krista. It's always a joy. You too. Seeking the truth never gets old. Introducing June's Journey, the free-to-play mobile game that will immerse you in a thrilling murder mystery. Join June Parker as she uncovers hidden objects and clues to solve her sister's death in a beautifully illustrated world set in the roaring 20s. With new chapters added every week, the excitement never ends. Download June's Journey now on your Android or iOS device or play on PC through Facebook games.